You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Our first monthly project is in the books, which means we are joined once again by Arun Jiggywiggy Singh and Brian Madden from the Serum Visions podcast to talk about what we learned from Invoke Calamity and unveil the nominees for next month's project. So crack a bottle of Blink Moth Tonic and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tonight, we're once again joined by our lovely friends from the Serum Visions gang. So, let's not give it much ado. How is it going? Shigi, Ryan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing super well. You know, been pretty tired, pretty exhausted. Been interviewing uh, had with two companies. One said no after four interviews. Pretty brutal. Uh, but I'm pretty sure this last one is going to give me the offer. Uh, and, you know, it's actually like one of the better jobs I could have hoped for. So hopefully they'll send me the offer this week. I'll just be able to accept that and then start thinking about moving to Boston. But otherwise, interviewing is super exhausting. And like, man, you know, I don't want to do it again. Well, lovely to hear that, but let's hope it works correctly. Brian, how are you? Oh, uh, you know, same old, same old. Just living the dream out here in constant isolation uh i don't know what year it is i don't know what day it is <laughs> time has lost all meaning the other weeks are to muddle together and last but absolutely not least unlike last time we're showing we're a lovely ceo better known as cave down online then how is it Ooh. going hello hello it's so good to see all of your beautiful faces yeah this is super exciting you know it's been a while i'd love to see more but it's been a while since we've gotten to record together dan you're looking good oh thank you yeah, I mean, it's it's high summer here in North Carolina. I've been hitting up the beach, hitting up the pool, nice. trying to get my Woo. summer colors. <laughs> I mean, we have, seen, we have seen photos from Dan in Mexico. We have seen photos from Dan everywhere right now. Dan in the Mexican swing. I, I'm trying to work on some, like, Faithless Brewing Thirst Trap content. I have, like, a backlog of photos. I haven't shared nice. them quite yet. Nice. Faithless Brewing only fans. Swimsuit calendar when? Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. I will do a swimsuit calendar. I'm not afraid. <laughs> we just we need six photos from Zach because he's like on a cruise, and then we just split the six other photos among us among the rest of us. Oh yeah, this is true. Zach does nothing but go to the gym now. You know, like I, we would have a pretty decent calendar. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Zach thirst traps when I'm gonna I'm gonna petition for uh, for Damon to be a part of this because there needs to be more oh, yep. beard energy in the, the calendar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's six photos from Zach, and then six photos. One from each of us, plus Damon, plus David. Okay, and that's, perfect. that's just perfect. Yeah. It's a perfect split. We got it, everybody. Just feeling like the odd man out with the facial hair here, you know? I don't know what a facial hair is. Has anybody ever seen my arms? I don't have a single hair in my whole body. Like, literally. <laughs> it's impressive. I know. Yeah, seems pretty fine. I hate shaving, you know? If I didn't have to shave twice a week, I'd, be, I'd feel happy about it. You don't have to shave. That's the trick. You could have a magnificent yeah, beard. It's patchy still. Giving a bit of context to every single listener who has been hearing us discussing our first draft for the past few minutes, it's the final of the first monthly project and the beginning of the second one. Dan is already in pain, Ryan is already having fun, I am on that side of the show, and that's exactly what we ha- what's going to happen. We're going to talk a bit about Invoke Calamity, 
discuss what, with the card, what sort of decks we enjoyed playing, what did we find was some good build for it, and after that we're gonna jump into what's the monthly project for the next month, and we're gonna start with the nominees you people have suggested so we can start with the voting. Yeah, exactly. We got some spicy ones on the ballot. Once again, people always come through to deliver the fire suggestions. I think we have 11 cards nominated this time, and I can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts on them. I have to say, before before we do get to that, I have to say that the uh, the quality of the, the little blurb, the, the pitch that people have been gi- giving, has just gone through the roof. I feel like everybody has got their wit down, they have their pitch, you know, it's a couple sentences, punchy, high impact. I think it's, be- it's because they realize we're going to read it word for word, so they make it, they need to make a compelling argument. I mean, I, I love hey, it. It works well. Yeah, they're doing yeah, our yeah, work for too. us. Listener-driven content. That's what we do. All right. Invoke Calamity. One red, 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 red. I was listening to some previous episodes and I realized that like when I read this card out, I, I miss a red pip by accident. So like, I make it sound like it only costs four. It actually costs four red and one. It's just so much red. It's so much red. It's such a weird mana cost until you have to pay it and you realize you have like a Balagate recovery in a forest and you're like, I cannot cast this. I will never be able to cast this. That happened to me yesterday. I was like really excited, and I look at my lands, and it's two breeding pools. I'm like, God, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, what I was describing was just a hypothesis. It was not based on experience at all. Never, not even once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so you need a lot of red. One red, 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 red. Instant. You may cast up to two instant and/or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and/or hand without paying their mana costs. If those spells would be put into your hand, excuse me, if those spells would be put into your graveyard, exile them instead and exile Invoke Calamity. We've been talking about this card for the last four weeks or so, talked about a bunch of different concepts. Emmy and I did a whole kind of dedicated brew session. We've been getting some sweet ideas from Discord, from listeners via Twitter. Brian, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you here first. You've been testing this card. Tell us what you have discovered. Uh, yeah, so I spent my time focused on land destruction, uh, one of my yeah. longtime loves. Um, Don't defend it, T. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. If anybody's played sort of a Ponza-style list, uh, you'll you'll kind of know that, that these lists are good in some metagames and not in others. And one of the reasons that they can be bad is because when you're one you know, one for wanting and taking lands away from your opponent. If your opponent is on, you know, a really low to the ground deck or something like that, uh, they may still have enough resources to get their threats out. And, you know, you're kind of spending your mana on destroying theirs um, and they're still getting ahead. Uh, And so my thought was, we'll just use Invoke Calamity as a way in the late game to sort of recoup some value and kind of try and catch up after doing this one for one dance, you know, removing creatures and removing lands. And so... You know, I think this played out a lot like uh, a a normal sort of land destruction deck in in all of my various iterations. Um, I'm going to kind of cut to the cool things that I learned. The first was uh, Invoke Calamity can cast adventures from the graveyard. Um, And so in most of my lists, uh, once I I discovered this, I was playing Bonecrusher Giant and... um, you know, it, it enabled me to play a Bone Crusher Giant to the board early if my opponent didn't have any blockers, if they were kind of dirtling around themselves and start to apply pressure. Uh, then, you know, the Bone Crusher Giant could get removed and, you know, the opponent may play their own creature and then you can use Invoke Calamity in the late game to re- recast Stomp, uh, you know, and, and get some removal or get some direct damage in. And then it goes to Exile where you can then cast the Bone Crusher Giant again. That's so fascinating, that interaction. I just completely missed that. 
I never even thought about it. It's to that point, like it hadn't even crossed my mind that it was a possibility. Yeah, that's hot. Wait, Brian, a question real quick. Is the green splash for only Renin 6 and like Cinnabon's sideboard, was that worth it? Or do you want to add more green or you think that, you know, it's totally justifiable? So I started heavier in the green and I slowly cut back. I actually had started with a forest in the list. Um, I had some Balagad recoveries. Uh, those all ended up getting cut and I slowly moved away from the green. But Renin 6, just, you know, it's it, it can it can prop up a whole deck on its own. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty whack for sure. I mean, it is, you know, especially with Invoclemic requiring four red, you know, I guess it does make sense that, you know, in this kind of shell, maybe it is worth it to only splash for Renin 6 just because you need so many red pips. Yeah, it was it was the red pips and it was wanting to be really threat light. So in my list, I was playing a single grape shot. Um, I was playing a, a beanstalk giant, which I unfortunately never got to cast or, or play, but I was kind of hoping that that would be a, a nice uh, game ending threat. It seems like the most fun card in the deck. Yeah. <laughs> and like being able to, to retrace, um, you know, Lightning Bolt in the late game, if I altered the Renin 6, seemed like a, a nice just kind of safety valve. Uh, it never really came to that. Most of my opponents would either concede because they just got completely destroyed on land destruction or the Bone Crusher Giant. You know, you're swinging in with a 4-3, you have a little bit of burn to the face. It actually ended up getting it done uh, a couple of times, so... And, you know, you you occasionally get the Ragavan concede. Like, you know, you hit your opponent on turn two, you thought seize them, and then they just give up. Ragavan is so nasty. Just like every time I play with that card, I'm like, holy crap, if this survives, I'm so far ahead. It's wild. I mean, why, why would we depend on Calamity when we can just go turn one Ragavan, turn two Brennan six? That's all that win you. Like, 30% of the games just end on turn two. Yeah, so I, I didn't really uh, explain the, the full deck here. Um, I can quickly go through what my sort of final iteration was. Uh, I was one Sahili Sublime Artificer, four Ren and Six, one Beatenstock Giant, four Bone Crusher Giant, four Ragavan, two Anger of the Gods, four Boombust, uh, four Cleansing Wildfire, one Empty the Warrens, four Cathartic Pyre, four Invoke Calamity, four Lightning Bolt, uh, 23 lands and uh sideboard the the big thing of note here was for blood moon i kind of swapped mm. some things around uh, as i iterated on this list the cards that were you know pretty good empty the warrens uh so casting uh, an invoke calamity or casting an empty the warrens off of an invoke calamity is pretty nice because you immediately if you stack it right get the uh the storm count from the invoke calamity and the spell that you cast you know the second spell that you cast with uh invoke calamity the the sort of Things that I, I realized as I had been playing the various iterations is that um, you really want to have more looting or rummaging effects. So I have four Cathartic Pyre in this final iteration here, uh, which I actually haven't played yet. But the earlier versions, I wasn't looting or rummaging very much. And what I found is that I would often have two spells to cast... But I didn't really have much selection. I was kind of priced into whatever was in the graveyard and whatever was mm -hmm. in my hand. Um, and I think that if you're going to play with Invoke Calamity, you definitely want to be uh, aggressively putting cards in the graveyard so that you have better selection. Yeah, you describe this as like a grill Ponza list, but it's really not a traditional selection of Ponza cards. Even your land destruction is Boom Bust and Cleansing Wildfire, whereas I was expecting you to have like Pillage, maybe Stone mm -hmm. Rain. Yeah. Blood Moons are here on the sideboard, but like that's often a main deck thing if people are trying to accelerate into that off of Arbor Elf or Utopia Sprawl. What was the reasoning behind like this specific selection of land destruction? 
So I had actually started with the pillage um, and stone rain because I wanted to maximize the value off of uh, invoke calamity. But what mm-hmm. I found was that I actually I wasn't ramping uh, with enough consistency because I'm not playing Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, and those sorts of things. Um, and so I wanted the two mana land destruction because a turn three land destruction spell is usually too slow. Uh, and the other thing was that with the four artifact lands, so I am playing four of the red green artifact lands. You know, Cleansing Wildfire and Boom Bust end up being ramp. Uh, you can also use Boom Bust on turn three with a fetch land as ramp, or on turn two if you had a Ragavan on turn one. Um, and so that extra ramp was really nice for getting the Invoke Calamity out maybe a turn sooner. And I, I actually used the Boom Bust a couple times in the late game to destroy a Dorvern Mine and then replay it with Ren and Six just to get some more bodies on the board. And so that's kind of why I moved away from the Pillage and the uh, the Stone Rain. I think the card I cannot just justify my minor my like I can understand um Beanstalk Giant because of the synergies. I can understand the Saheli. I just cannot understand empty the warrens. Uh that was mostly to see if you know it, it was basically if I could cast invoke calamity on my opponent's end step after they had cast some spells, it was gonna be a big big storm turn um so even if they had one spell and i hadn't you know uh empty the warrens in hand or in graveyard could cast invoke calamity you know you're gonna get a storm count three there and then if they had cast anything that turn that's just uh you know a a bunch of bodies on board that's pretty hot end of your turn invoke calamity steal your storm count empty the warrens for 10 go who's the storm deck now it actually it ended up being okay you know early game maybe turn three turn four you can get some bodies on board as blockers and then that feels almost strong enough to just build like a dedicated storm deck around. Yeah, imagine if you had just like Pyretic Ritual, a bunch of Empty the Warrens, a bunch of Invokes. You could be like a normal storm deck with Pass and Flames if you want, but then you could occasionally do this line that Brian is describing, where on their end step, you just surprise them with like 12 tokens. Yeah, I really, what I wanted to do, but I didn't manage to find the time or energies, I wanted to take Invoke Calamity into a Pyromancer's Ascension shell, uh, you know, with thought with thought scour and like when that's really like Mort said fills up the graveyard fast because if you have an active ascension out uh one invoke calamity is actually eight cast triggers invoke calamity gets doubled and each of the spells you cast off of it gets doubled <laughs> that's that's nasty i'm just gonna throw she under the bus for a second and say you just want to play pretty much ascension in any deck i just i mean i'm a i'm a combo player you know like i gravitate towards combo decks yes good observation Mort. <laughs> you, no no you gravitate Around graveyard red, uh, around red graveyard combo decks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is interesting now. If we could kind of more, more stealing some of Brian's idea, like if we can do Pyromancer's Ascension, you know, maybe like blue red, and then run Blood Moon also in the main deck. That's kind of like added disruption, you know, because the initial reason to play Ascension is Loris, but we lost Loris, so now we have to be more cheap, more cheap. Just play Ario Flame. Oh, that's the combo. We just play Invoke Calamity and Ario Flame. Look at the <laughs> Brian's face, just. Okay, okay. You know, like this is like red enchantment spell based combo. I'm totally here for this. I saw I love it. how Blood Moon fixes your mana and turns all those pesky breeding pools into cards that can actually cast your invoke calamity. My my biggest problem is playing Blood Moon in a two color deck that wants to cast quadruple red means A or or you are not getting your second color basics, or B you are not casting your five color mana spell your four red spell on turn five. <laughs> Uh, Mord, have you heard of, uh, Navigator's Compass? <laughs> okay. So, 
I'm just gonna like pull it back towards <laughs> the actual There's a limit discussion. to insanity. <laughs> Before Mord takes the bait. Um, the other thought that occurred to me when, when Brian had this revelation about the adventure creatures, the, the reason that that works is because I guess Invoke Calamity doesn't target, right? So it actually works the same way that Kess Dissident Mage works with adventures. Mm-hmm. It just like checks when you're trying to put the card in the stack, it sees did it satisfy the requirements. And I, I guess that's the same reason why you can flashback Boom or as a two mana spell instead of a six mana spell um so it's kind of cool and one of the concepts that we had originally kicked around was like what if you were just like a mid-range control deck you had profane tutors you had the black calamity invoke despair you had the red calamity invoke calamity and like you just need stuff to like hold it together until you get to the mid game and actually bone crusher giant i didn't think of that as a card that fit the strategy but they would be perfect in that kind of deck it's so, like maybe you want to revisit something that's more just in the adventure mid-range space just go all in, play Lucky Clover, and we are actually playing a, an adventure deck with the Bull Calamity. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, I did suggest Lucky Clover <laughs> I, for I know. another. I, I, I know. <laughs> I, I don't. You know, I was going to suggest Lucky Clover here, hoping you would forget about Lucky Clover later. It's in the notes, buddy. I won't forget. There's a new. The Baldur's Gate has a new legendary creature, Lucky Clover, but I think that's only legacy legal. It evades Modern, Standard, and Pioneer, so it goes to Popper, Commander, Legacy, Vintage. Eight, um, uh, eight Lucky Clover Legacy. Let's <laughs> just go and shoot it into the Clover. All right, so Brian, any further thoughts on the land destruction package with Invoke Calamity before we move on? Uh, no, I, you know, I think that as is, the deck uh, that I, I will have linked here is probably like FNM ready. Um, you know, it, it felt reasonably uh powerful um but i think with some work it it could probably you know be a a a reasonable meta choice you know around the same times that that something like a ponza would be good i could see this uh being pretty good but um you know plays a little bit more like a control deck and a little bit less like a a ponza deck that's going to get a you know kind of aggro with dragons and whatnot yeah you replace glory ringer for the insane amount of value that adventures plus calamity provide yep also, BBE is quite nice with Adventures as well, ironically. It's a nice value play, but I think that's just going too f- down the line. Also, the one of Dwarven Mine is such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful Brian thing to do. Brian's signature. Every Jiggy deck has 61 cards. Every Brian card has a single Dwarven Mine. Yeah, I, I guess on that same note, uh, you know, when I mentioned that you wanted more card selection um, and... and uh, whatnot. I could see maybe including like a forgotten cave or something as a, an additional way to kind of dig through the deck. And I think if anybody's looking to pick this up, I would look at tuning the amount of looting effects. Um, I like I said, I haven't tried the cathartic pyre. And the other thing to consider is that this is not going to do well against any big creatures. Uh, you basically have to two for one yourself if you want to remove something like a primeval titan. So uh, you know the goal would be to keep them off of casting anything big, but um, you know, they can operate on very few lands if they're bouncing Karoo lands and things like that. So it might be tough. All right. For our next deck, we are going over to Pioneer. And this deck comes to us from our Faithless Brewing Discord from MMP. MMP posted a list that they had tested uh, quite a bit some months back. And they said they had a few 4-1s and a bunch of 3-2s and 2-3s. It's a teamer turbo fog deck using invoke yeah what the hell exactly this was it was so strange that i just like i had to test this because it's just (laughs) so out of left field like you 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 start looking at the cards and it the the more you go down the line the insane the more insane the deck list gets so let me be the first to say that I do not understand Turbo Fog as a concept. I, I fear it. I don't like I don't know what it's trying to do. I don't know why it's there. 
Like I approached with great trepidation and reverence. Let me take a quick a quick bat at that. That turbo fog actually used to be pretty sick before fire design. When like you actually, if you could fog the game, you actually couldn't win. Uh, but now you know we have ways to win the game. Or you know you can fog every turn. But if one ragavan connects, you know it could be game over. It didn't used to be like that. It used to be able to you know just like fog the fog every turn and win. Turbo fog was never a good deck. Don't lie to yourself. Moments Peace was like such a disgusting magic card mode. You have no idea how fucked up that card is. Like you look at you. Is that is, is Moments Peace older than you actually, Mord? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Pretty likely, but I mean, I have four Moments Peace from original printing in Chinese because I play, I used to play them. Like my deck of choice in Popper was Tron. Which was literally a Turbo Fog deck. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Turbo Fog has never been, like, you know, great. But it's been, it used to be, like, borderline fringe. Uh, now it's, like, super fringe because of fire design. But, you know, back in the day, this was kind of a concept that was doable. And I know, who doesn't just like to stall? No, no, I'm older than Moments Peace by, not by much. <laughs> you received a playset at Moments Peace as, like, a baby shower gift or something like that. I was your birthright. one and a half years old. I was almost oh two God. years old at release. Unbelievable. Well, what you're saying, Arun, actually answers a question for me, because I looked at this list and I did not understand why there were only five fogs in the deck. Because I thought Turbo Fog means you have to play, like, eight, nine, ten copies of Fog Effect. But... I think what you're saying is absolutely true. Like, you actually cannot win a game just by casting Fog turn after turn. You have to actually, you you can use a Fog maybe once, twice, maybe three times, but then you have to win because the opponent has like a Planeswalker down or something, or they're just going to... Yep, 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 yep. Or a Questing Beast. (laughs) Exactly. Or a Bone Crusher (laughs) Giant. I mean, Stomp also kills Fog. So I was like very, very nervous that this deck was just not going to work at all. But let's talk about how MMP accounted for this and how they put the deck together. So as I said, there's only five Fogs in the deck. Four Fog, one Haze of Pollen. What you're trying to do is actually just buy time to set up this spell-based finisher combo, and that's Tasha's Hideous Laughter, which is here as a three of, and you're just trying to copy that once or twice. So you have Galvanic Iterations and Expansion Explosion, two Galvanics, one Expansion Explosion. You have the three Invoke Calamities, which can buy back Atasha's that you already cast. And really, even though you think of Tasha's as a mill card, if you just cast the same copy of Tasha's like three times in a match, you probably win against a lot of decks. Not all decks, but... If the game goes long, like as long as they are not an aggro deck, three Tasha's Hideous Laughter should be enough to run them out of win cons. Like they're going to mill out before they can kill you. Like against Asolius Control, he doesn't care if they have 10 cards left. They are not going to kill you in 10 cards. Is that true in Pioneer? I, I admittedly haven't played it Pioneer depends. for... So the first match I played was against the, the Blue, White, and Soul Artifact deck. Two Tasha's killed them. Like, the first Tasha's got 26 cards, <laughs> yeah. and the second Tasha's killed them. So I was impressed with, like, how effective it was. Now, the next deck I played had, like, Delve spells and, like, other expensive mm. stuff, so it took a lot of Tasha's. Temporal Trespass, which I'm playing two of, that's an 11-mana spell. Um, so it's Damn. really... It varies quite a lot. So MMP is not relying entirely on Tasha's, but that's one of the ways you win. The other way you can win is with Ral Storm Conduit, who has the static text that whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, you get to deal damage, and then you can set up like a expansion explosion infinite copy loop. There's only one <laughs> copy of expansion explosion in the deck, but you can theoretically assemble this as you dig through the deck with cards like Expressive Iteration, Pieces of the Puzzle, Consider... Invoke Calamity, Narsar Porter of Veils, and so forth. And the last piece of the deck is just a couple extra turn effects. I mentioned the two Temporal Trespass. There's two Part the Water Veil, which is a little awkward with Invoke Calamity. Like, you can cast that off Invoke, but it takes up all of your allotted six mana, and then it gets Mm. exiled, so it's, like, not the best, but sometimes just that extra turn is... 
you know as good as a fog mm-hmm. or better but how does awakening work can you if you have a bunch of mana can you like is awakening like kicker or is it like you have to do it as you announce it so like if you cast it off of invoke calamity do you get to awaken if you have the extra mana I mean, I can't imagine that ever being relevant. I believe that's an alternate cost, so you'd have to pay the full nine in addition to your five for Invoke Calamity. So that that did not come up in my testing. <laughs> I mean, it may, math checks out, for sure. Oh, and I forgot to mention one of the most important cards, which is Unexpected Windfall, which is actually going to be upgraded now to the card Big Score from Nuka Penna. Just a nice card to copy, a nice card for assembling, you know, a four and a two for your Invoke Calamities. Invoke Calamity was like very impressive here. You know, it's only a three of, so you might not think much of it when you're looking at the list, but you're going to find it with all the dig cards that I mentioned. You're going to have a plush graveyard. If you're casting Invoke, buying back Fog plus Unexpected Windfall, like you're, you're having a great turn right there and you can do it again the next turn. It's actually a really cleverly constructed deck. How was the Tamiyo ever? Was that ever relevant? Yeah, Tamiyo was I good. Love I love a couple times. This is Tamiyo Collector of Tales. She prevents opponent's discards. She has a plus one that lets you name a non-land card, and then you mill your top four cards, and you get to pick up any copies of the card you named. And then the minus three, which is the, you know, the reliable one, just rebuys a card from your graveyard, so you can rebuy a fog or whatever you need. And that's so important because it, it means that you know casting Tamiyo on turn five with fog mana up, you, know, you just minus three, get the fog back, and you're safe for that turn. Yeah, I would consider playing two Tamiyos, but I mean, there's, there's a kind of an issue with like, the deck was a little bit land light. Um, if you miss any land drops mm. at all, you're basically t- toast. 22 is not that much. Like, it's, it's like the amount of lands I would play, and we all know that's a mistake. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I liked the concepts. Um, I was impressed at how it played out. Most of my matches like were going well, and then something went wrong, and I lost. <laughs> so like I'm not totally sure if that's like a fatal flaw with the deck or just like we need to tweak some numbers out. Uh, MMP obviously has a lot more experience than I do. As I mentioned, they had a lot of three twos and two threes. Um, so maybe I just need to like learn to play it a little bit better. But I found that yeah, like if I'm not naturally hitting land drops, uh, there's nothing worse for a fog deck than being stuck on lands, and then you basically just can't tap out after a certain point because you need to leave your fog mana up. Is Howling Mine legal in Pioneer? Not that I know of. Howling Mine, Howling Mine. Dictative Crufix. Is there Dictative Crufix? Is that legal? I think so. Maybe, I don't know. But like something, that's Theros. So I think so. But you know, like something, like those kind of effects do really well in Turbo Fog decks because then they help you hit your land drops and you don't really care that your opponent's drawing too many cards because they can't attack anyways. Once again, you know, like with Planeswalkers, it's a little bit less relevant. Uh, but, you know, in theory, these Howling Mine effects were kind of part of the Turbo Fog game plan. Um, I think the, the biggest card was the Dictate of Crufix. Yeah, that is legal apparently, but um, I haven't thought about that. I think the biggest problem is exactly what you were saying before. The fire design is making it like, before you could just let your opponent draw cards because no one had answers to Turbo Fog in the main deck and now we will, you will actually deal with stuff like Stomp in the main decks, Questing Beast, like stuff that are actually going to wreck you if you give your opponent enough draws. You know, like Wandering Emperor, nice Turbo Fog nerd. Yeah, blue decks, like aggressive blue decks are very popular right now. People love their Is It Prowess. People love their Phoenix. Even that uh, in Solar Effect deck I mentioned, they brought in Stubborn Denials and Metallic Rebukes. It was like very, very difficult to fight through aggro plus counter magic. So I don't think this deck is well positioned right now, but mm. it is a very cool way to use both the Turbo Fog Shell and the unique skills of Invoke Calamity. Yeah, seem, seems super good, actually. Like, seems like, you know, you had some pretty good results with it. Well, I went like 0-4, but, but the game is uh-huh. really fun. <laughs> 
But he had a lot of fun. I did. The way you described it, I thought you went at least two, three. <laughs> no. <laughs> you were speaking so highly of it. Oh, four was not what I expected to hear. Yeah, I know you were talking. You were talking it up. I was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe there's something here. Well, I went 0-4 just picking it up, but as I said, the, yeah, the creator yeah. of the deck has, you know, had much better results than, than me, so... Makes sense. Turbofog traditionally uses extra turn spells. Would would trying to jam some extra turn spells in here help in any way? I mean, it's got the waterfall thing. Yeah, I have actually the two veil. temporal trespass, two part of the water veil, so that actually is part of the main component of the game plan. That said, because temporal trespass is a popular card in Pioneer, like as soon as people see it, they know to bring in their rest in peace, their unlicensed hearse. Like mm. these spell based decks, at least in Pioneer, are vulnerable to a lot of stuff, and they have a really hard time just keeping pace with you know decks that just add to the battlefield every single turn, which applies to the next deck I'm going to talk about too. So let me pivot and just mention briefly the variation that I tested. This goes back to the episode that Mord and I recorded a few weeks back, exploring just like what other combos can you do with Invoke Calamity? And the one that intrigued me was the standard combo of Body of Research plus Kazool's Fury, Turbo Fling. That's just you loving Body of Research. I, I do love Body of Research. Oh yeah, this is true. Dan does love it. Green, 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 blue, 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 sorcery. You make a giant token. The token, you make a giant fractal, right? The fractal is as big as your library. It's a big body, big body, body of research. <laughs> um, and yeah, you doesn't have trample, doesn't have any useful skills, but you can just fling it at the opponents and hope that work. The biggest vanilla creature in Magic's history. Exactly. So the plan or the hope is that at some point you'll just loot it away. Because Invoke Calamity can just cast it at instant speed out of your graveyard, you don't need to have a body of research cluttering up your hand. You can fill your deck with stuff like Prismari Commands, Big Scores, Is It Charms, etc, etc. Just dump it in the graveyard at some point. When you're ready, Invoke Calamity will bring the body of research back, either to attack for lethal or more likely to untap Kazul's Fury and fling them for 40. And the surrounding <laughs> core is like pretty similar to the Turbo Fog deck. You know, you're in team or colors, mainly base Red, blue, you're just trying to cast considers and stuff like that. It's essentially Splinter Twin. It just like is a little bit slow. Like I tested this one a few matches and I was a little bit slower than my opponents were. Made me think that I needed to just like totally rethink the beginning of the curve. Like I just need to add growth spirals and whatever else we can do to accelerate. Because I think that in Pioneer, there's not like a great catch up mechanism in the instance and sorcery space outside of like fog itself. So how to do? I'm always curious about data with uh, what if we just put a, a big fat homie on the b- on battlefield, you know, like with no evasion. No, no. Can we do it? But then we fling it. Like we get a big dork and then we... Yeah, I mean, whatever, you know, like step one is get a giant dork on the battlefield and step two is figure out how to win. But like, how did we get there? Did we manage to figure out step two? Um, I'll say that 100% of my match wins while testing Invoke Calamity this week came from this deck. <laughs> I won one match with it. I was about to say, <laughs> I lost so my more. one win. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I beat a, a T-Ball's Trickery deck. <laughs> it was straight out of Explorer. Someone was mad that their T-Ball's Trickery Explorer deck got banned, so they queued up in Pioneer with T-Ball's Trickery. But yeah, I mean, this deck just like has a few problems, still working out the kinks. Um, I'm not ready <laughs> to call these decks good, but these are concepts. We're talking about concepts. We're peddling in ideas. It's a conceptual thing. What if, what if instead of, I mean, it changes the list fundamentally, but kind of taking a hybrid approach where uh, instead of looking to get the big body of research, instead we're just looking to ramp 
as hard as we can. So, you know, we got the growth spirals, just get as many land drops down and then do the beanstalk giant plan. So, you know, flood the board with land, play your beanstalk giant, which is hopefully going to be huge. You know, all you need is a 10-10. I say all you need, but, you know, you get your, your beanstalk giant down and then fling it. <laughs> you need you need two 10-10s, that's the problem. So the issue with, with any of these strategies is that like you can't stay alive long enough. Like you can maybe buy a couple turns with either red removal or fogs, and then you have to win. You have to just like win immediately because uh, you're just gonna fall so far behind. Pioneer is very much about just playing creature, 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 adding to the battlefield mm. every turn. You're not gonna win a game with like just a large beanstalk giant. The same reason that I didn't like the crackling drakes <laughs> that David David wanted to put crackling drakes in the deck. He was like, you know, crackling drake is all you need, but actually, just given how far behind you are casting these spells um you, you need a lot more than crackling drake you just need to instantly kill them you need splinter twin well and the crackling drake's probably a better beanstalk giant than beanstalk giant because i was thinking you get a hit in with the beanstalk giant then you fling it you know that's why you only need the 10 but the crackling drake's probably going to get there a little bit easier it doesn't rely on lands and it has evasion so if the crackling drake can't get there then the beanstalk giant's probably just dead in the water but what about the flavor win of flinging the giant though <laughs> Moral victory, perhaps, yeah. You're throwing it from, like, up the beanstalk. Like, you're throwing it, like, as it collapses to its dead on the floor. Like, straight up from the fable. All right, so I did not have much success, but maybe we should pivot here to a deck that showed a lot more promise. And for this, we're going back to modern. So, Arun, Emmy, you guys are both working on one of our most promising invoke shells, namely with Collected Conjuring. Oh, yeah, well, this is... Yeah, this is mostly all Mords doing. I just kind of bandwagged and stole it at the end because you know i wanted to at least have some skin in the game i didn't get to test and play with magic as i wanted to you know just super tired and busy and it's interesting you know like during all these interviews and stuff i've just been so mentally drained it's like don't really have like the want to play magic you know it's like my brain is full like you know my brain is exercised we do not need to give it more exercise uh, which was, you know, kind of just food for thought for me, at least. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's like, hey, do you want to play Invoke Calamity and Collected Conjuring in the same deck? Uh, the answer is for sure. Uh, so here, I'll let Mord kind of go over it, and then I'll probably make a little, make comments here and there with my experience. This deck was the first one I discussed, and then I talked about it during the next episodes, which is the deck based around all sorceries, and its main plan is via Collected Conjuring or Invoke Calamity, get Crushing Footfalls, Flame Sash, Anger of the Gods. So a lot of removal and pretty good rhinos into play by cheating on the suspend mechanic. And the deck worked fairly well, actually. It had two huge issues. First and foremost, saying that the fed is devastating for your deck is an understatement. <laughs> I got a screenshot of me with a... Ha I had six mana in play, two collected conjuring, two invoke calamities, and my opponent had a defer in play. So... <laughs> oh my god. And the fed time raveler. So I just couldn't play. So Teferi Static says you just cannot cast anything off Collected Conjuring, you cannot cast anything off Invoke Calamity. I just got shut down into zero, and I couldn't even suspend my Rhinos <laughs> because Teferi. So the dead is dead code to two things. Teferi, because everything is sorceries, that once you play unfairly, and Ragavan, because everything is sorceries. And people realize that after game one, and more importantly, even if they don't realize and just dash it, my opponent went through one Ragavan, I couldn't kill it, and they got to see the truth. My opponent exiled oh, a see the truth with the Ragavan, <laughs> and I was this close to just conceding and dropping MTG. Mmm, oh wow, yeah, honestly, Ragavan, just like, some of those turn ones are just so, you know, like, turn one Ragavan hits Mox Amber, I'm just like, is it even worth playing, you know, honestly, like, why am I doing this? I think the worst one I have ever had was, a, I think the most usual one is Ragavan hit on top deck mode, 
either on top of the mode, get an expressive iteration, or on turn two, get a Renan 6. When Iset Work Time gets a Renan 6 on turn two, you just don't want to keep leaving. Yeah, and I just, you know, I had a. I had a Vindicate uh, on my turn one, when my turn one never opponent, when turn one Utopia Sprawl, and Ragavan hits a Vindicate, it's like, well, this game is over. See the Truth is not for the faint of heart. If you go to our YouTube channel, <laughs> you, you can watch Emmy cast See the Truth when his opponent controls Dolphy Voidwalker, and it does not work out the way that you want. <laughs> they just get to free cast Ancestral Recall off of their Voidwalker. That was not a good idea. <laughs> Alright, so, more about this deck, Mord. What did you... What did you think, uh, especially, you know, like, how was, uh, how was Collected Conjuring? So I think in all my testing, the deck went, like, 8-7, something like that. Like, barely over 50-50. My last league went 2-3. Because I lost all my games to the failure of Ragavan. Like, literally, my six losses because all my leagues, all my matches ended, like, 2-1. Were to the Ferry or Ragavan. And math checks out, I lost two matches to Ragavan. It, when the deck won, does what it wants to do, it's actually quite good. Like, the games you just go 33 in Magic Incarnation, you feel like you're doing actually a really powerful thing. The problem is it's so easy to interact with what you're doing mm-hmm. that it gets a bit clunky pretty easily. And I think that's the biggest issue. I noticed a lot of tension with playing, you know, when you, when you put Invoke Calamity and Collected Conjurings in your deck to try and optimize them, you get in this strange tension where, like, you know, just like, what are your early plays? You know, like, you still, sadly, you need interaction in Modern. And, you know, just so you have some kind of pretty weak removal over here. And then just, you know, like there's no, you, you don't even get to put down cool bodies to kind of block her. I mean, you know, maybe some like Arboreal Grazer or something of the sort. Or just, you know, but we don't really get to play those because then those mess with our collected conjuring and invoke calamity stuff. It's, I don't, you know, I definitely know tension with that. And then, yeah, huge, you know, Teferi Time Raveler. Like, you know, what's your, I didn't see anything in this list that could actually kill a Teferi. So in my in my actual gameplay in the league I played I actually changed the the, fi- the flame sash for firebolts so I had strangle plus firebolt which meant I could chew for one myself to get rid of a Teferi, but still it was really bad. Yeah, you do have options at one mana: flame slash, strangle. Mm-hmm. I forgot about firebolts. Hard evidence would be an option, maybe. I don't know, like how how far you're willing to go to stop the early attackers, but none of this stuff solves Teferi. Teferi is. I was wondering if you should just, like, cut the pillages for more cheap interaction. Yeah, pillage was definitely a little, you know, like, one of the cards I was least excited to hit. I mean, I actually quite like pillage, because it first gave me an answer to a lot of stuff like Kalis of the Void. Like, I faced a lot of Kalis on Zero and such. Oh, wow. And also was pretty good, like, against the control decks, the turn three pillage into turn four, maybe pillage into... Like, pillage is a pretty good way to wait out counter spells. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I'm curious how the crashing footfalls played out. I feel like this is something that I trap myself with all the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to throw in some crashing footfalls in this deck that, you know, can free, you know, cast it. And like, I, I end up putting it in my, uh, in my bolus of Citadel decks a lot. And I feel like it's just, you know, I draw three of them in my opening hand without fail. It's like, I'm all down to three and it's three crashing footfalls every time. I was pretty. I was then. Then you just bottomed the th- the three. Why are you keeping those? You just bottom them, Brian. You're, you've got the London Mall now. I'm being a little hyperbolic, but it, I I felt like I got stuck with them a lot. My footballs are actually. I think. Let me know if you think the same thing. They might have been like the best cards in the deck. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm. I was actually. I wanted to say I was like really impressed with them. Just you know, I mean, they, it seems clunky, but like you know, you've got some minor disruption, and like you know, sometimes you're just able to like turn four collected conjuring into two rhinos. Your next turn, end of their turn, you get to invoke calamity. Uh, you know, do cast another rhinos, and maybe like some kind of small land destruction spell, whatever. It was, you know, I mean, like rhinos is a good deck. You know, like it's one of the better decks in modern. Every time I play against it, you know, even though I have like engineered explosives, you know, sometimes I have even Teferi, and you know, they can still just like Odawara end of like end of turn Odawara into you know just like two four four rhinos untapped just like more rhinos and just like damn they're big like 16 power trample is really a lot like a lot of the time your plan just goes to like turn one suspend turn two play any crappy removal into turn three collected gunshooting that hits like rhinos plus sometimes you go literally turn three rhinos plus pillage and the tempo swing in that play like four mana eight eight that destroys a land it's just unreasonable powerful especially when you can just follow it up next turn with a with a calamity yeah and don't forget that invoke calamity can cast from your hand so if you have a uh, rhinos that you drew at a, at a later turn that's not a complete disaster again it all returns to the biggest problem being the fairy devastating you you are not getting those yeah, rhinos out yeah. of your hand via any method if they have a fairy. So on the subject of this deck, we had a question that came in via Twitter from Ben McKinnon Duggins, and he said that based on our discussions of Calamity earlier, he felt like we were not giving proper consideration to Finale of Promise. Um, that was very interesting to me. So Finale of Promise, X, red, red, you get to recast up to one instant and up to one sorcery from your graveyard. Works very nicely with Crashing Footfalls, with Ancestral Vision. I think once you put finale of promise into your collected conjuring deck you're very much incentivized to also play ancestral vision um so you have more stuff in the graveyard for finale to hit on the other hand you know i don't think you're going to have much room for instance so you're not going to get a lot out of finale yeah i'm kind of in there i don't see why finale would even be you know like kind of good in this deck right you know ideally what you need like finale for three mana and you need to hit a one mana instant and then your footfalls or your uh, ancestral visions that already have to be in the yard somehow. Now, Invoke Calamity does the same thing with having to jump through less hoops. Like, well, you, like, I am just like, what, well, gonna <laughs> Invoke Calamity and cast a, um, uh, uh cast a, a promise, like, kick finale of promise or whatever, and then just, oh, you know, like, things get really weird. I have, and I'm pretty skeptical. I don't quite, in my brain, I don't see how you can make that, how that leap is made and saying, oh, you know, like, this is, these two cards of great synergy. I mean, the second part of the tweet was the one I grabbed the most, which is, Stress of iteration. So I went ahead and grabbed the list I was playing. And when I did the fireballs, I think I saw I swapped two theaters for two express iteration. And it wasn't that much better. Because it's not you don't have enough tips like with express iteration iteration you rely on having enough tip spells you can actually exploit the fact that the one you're exiling is on irrelevant. In here, unless my opponent had a cheap creature and I actually hit a one mana removal, which I don't have that many. It was mostly just, uh, uh, it was mostly the same kind of see the truth. It wasn't that much different in both scenarios. I mean, didn't someone in our Discord, they had a blue red version that played a um, uh, uh, as foretold, I believe, and just like they had kind of the as foretold package too. Uh, and like with Striker, because you know, I think wondering, like if going with the shell, it might just be, you know, like 
you know, the strongest turns, like you said, more like turn three collected conjuring and, you know, like next invoke calamity, just kind of go nuts like that. You know, maybe adding some strike it riches and, you know, like then maybe like kind of going with what the other person on the discord, the strike it riches and then the as foretold that gives you the option, you know, you can turn to as foretold into rhinos, uh, which is really, and then you as foretold just starts clicking up or, you know, like this way, even just it gives you uh, like strike it rich on turn one to get you a turn three, gets you to your turn three collected conjuring, which then maybe you get into, you know, like rhinos into uh, something else. Yeah, Brian. I know it's different deck, but I started with Strike It Rich in my initial lists, and I found that in like ninety five percent of cases, Strike It Rich was better served as just being a ragavan. Ryoan is always the best card. Yeah, I mean, this should probably play four ragavans. Honestly, like, why not? Who cares? Nothing matters. Why are you not playing? F- that's that's the weird question, right? Why are you not playing for Ryoans? Yeah, but the thing also with Strike It Rich is it's just such a bad card like anytime that's not turn one that if you want to make strike it rich work in your deck you need to find a way to maximize the busted things so, you know like strike it rich is bad but strike it rich enabling turn two as foretold into rhinos is like that's really powerful you know like now all of a sudden even if you're facing tron now you do that turn one on the play like turn one on the play against tron you know you're gonna tron is gonna be down to four damage before they finally have the tron and doing things like you know and that's just relatively simple so i think if you want to do it you know you need to maximize those kind of like cheaty like oh you know like super strong plays Otherwise, I agree, Strike It Rich is, is total garbage. But if you can kind of try and maximize those plays, I think it could be quite powerful. Yeah, I'm re- remembering now, I think that was Kilgore Trout who had that list. And he said that the Strike It Rich was like the best card since Simeon Spirit Guide for specifically trying to get the Turbo As Foretold deck, which is pretty cool. I mean, As Foretold has kind of fallen out of the metagame. It does a lot of interesting things and it's operating in the same space as Finale of Promise. I think it's a little more versatile. Obviously, it does not count towards your collected conjuring, so Finale is better in that specific respect. But beyond that, I, I think I lean towards As Foretold. I, I think it's also worth considering Electro Dominance if you're going to consider Finale, because if you're casting with any X value greater than zero, you're at least getting some some damage in there as well. Um, it can't cast out of the graveyard, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh but that, that was a card that always impressed me when I played with it. If you have the mana to do things other than X equals zero, you know, that extra little bit of damage is just really handy. It does also turn, you know, like now, and if you're one of those in your graveyard, then your Invoke Calamity can now get zero free CMC things out of your hand. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, at this point, it feels like it's, you know, like almost like the rule of 16 now, where you have just like these 16 cards that are all, you know, in very similar spaces. And I don't think we need all 16 because they all need all the cards to work. It's probably a meta call. You know, if you're heavier on creature decks in the meta, maybe the the Electro Dominance makes more sense as a way to, you know, just ping down, you know, Ragavans and things like that. If you're, you know, you're heavier on... Uh, discard decks or something maybe you want the finale because you know that more of your cards gonna end up in the graveyard so i I would say that your collected conjuring deck has room for like maybe four more non-sorceries but that that's it like once you go beyond that you just can't do anymore so if electro dominance is that card if as foretold is that card i mean these are things to test but that being said you know it's been an interesting month with invoke calamity i think it was a great choice happy to see that it won let's sort of gather our final thoughts on like what what do we think about what Invoke Calamity brings to the table, what are the most promising things we learned, or things to avoid. So I'm gonna start by saying for the first time, like everyone knows I'm the first to say just screw it played in a five color deck. And this is the first time that has proven impossible because <laughs> four pips <laughs> seems to be my limit, right? Like if this card was like triple colorless double rare I think the power of this card gets a lot bigger when you can just play it in piles that also have access to Thoughtseize that you can play like 
a lot of different plants together. Here you are really limited to a mo mostly red deck that is allowed to soft plus in other colors. And a mostly red deck that, unless it's mono red, cannot play Blood Moon because it comes to play red, 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 which is a lot of red. Yeah, and when, when Mord says mostly mono red, he's serious about that. Like, you should not have more than two lands in your deck that do not produce red. I, I had a problem with only two <laughs> non red. Yeah, yeah, it's to that extreme, which is insane because it almost seems like an exaggeration when you think about it, but it's not. The deck is that color intensive. Well, and I think that's really a statement because, uh, you know, indomitable creativity decks are three red pips and is played in a four color deck. It's that extra pip will really get you. I mean, that's, that's one of the directions that I think would be interesting to explore, like the overlap between the indomitable creativity mana base in modern, like that already supports Invoke Calamity, right? They only play two non-red lands in the entire deck. So you could do that. You know, we talked about this um, Velamachus concept where as soon as you get Velamachus in play, you know, Invoke Calamity can rebuy your time warps, etc., etc. That could be good. Um, but yeah, do not play a bunch of breeding pools and stuff. We've we've learned that. Please lesson. don't do so. Play, please, from the bottom of my heart, <laughs> don't play breeding pool in your Invoke Calamity deck. You're going to regret that so much without noticing. Let us make the mistakes. Let us make the mistakes so you don't have to. So my big takeaway, which came mainly, mainly from playing Pioneer, was that the spell-based decks, um, they have a hard time controlling the battlefield. Like, Phoenix can do it because they're playing so many one-red one removal spells. But, I mean, decks are built to just come out the gates on you. They're built to have cheap stack interaction. Almost all the hate cards are going to hurt a spell-based deck, like the spell-based deck tries to catch up by having a plush graveyard or by casting a bunch of spells in a turn. And there's a lot of cards already played in Pioneer that fight on all those axes. I found that I, I wasn't like able to just turn the game around, like lacking a hard sweeper in red specifically, or lacking a card like Crashing Footfalls to just add a bunch of stuff to the battlefield. Yep. Uh, I do think that maybe Invoke Calamity is like not as well set up in Pioneer as it is in Modern. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because I was going to say, like, my big takeaway is, you know, like, the best Invoke Calamities were flashing back powerful cards, right? You know, just like when you get two, maybe even, like, sometimes you get four Rhinos, it's just how it works out. Or you get, like, four, you get two Rhinos and then you draw three cards, you know? Like, that's that's when you can't just paying five mana, you're like, wow, you know, like, this isn't, like, this card I would pay five mana for happily. Uh, but, you know, like, if you don't have those kind of things, you know, if you also sometimes just, like, just depending how the game works, some, like, you do... I think Mort said it just like a little bit before, like you need to fill your graveyard for these cards, you know, like if you don't have things in your graveyard, you cannot, you cannot flash this thing back or you don't really get as much value out of it. So I think definitely, you know, you want to be doing powerful things that will end the game in one or two turns or at least put you in a position where you can't lose because, you know, I think, but then again, that's also like any five mana card in modern, you know, like when your blue white opponent resolves it to fairy hero, you've got like two turns to deal with it or you're actually just going to lose. I mean, we can picture that maybe some playable as a 5 and a 6-6 six, six that draws 3 or 4. and Or 10. 3 or 4. <laughs> I'm not going down that slippery slope. And picture that. So what... And paying Wooburg is not that different from paying red, 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 red. I think yeah. we can all agree on that. Like, the color requirement is practically the same. So your your 5 mana spell has to do something pretty impressive when you know Nib is not going to see play and you're actually hoping this to see play. Yeah. This is going to come across as probably a little bit disparaging here, but I, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. This just feels like a classic Jund card to me. Oh, no. It's, uh, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's just like it's that. just a little bit of extra value, uh, you know, and 
And like you had to have been doing something earlier in the game that necessitates you to recoup that value. And uh, it just it feels like the type of card that has its moments where it can be powerful, but oftentimes the format's like too fast or too efficient. And, you know, your plan of one for one until the late game when you can recoup some of that value just isn't going to quite get there. I will say. I like that. I like that it's an instant. You know, if this was a sorcery, it would be like zero. Yeah, yeah. At sorcery speed, we wouldn't be having this chat. I would have played to the list, say this is unplayable, and stop it. <laughs> instant speed is where it gets fun. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, I'm gonna probably keep this in my back pocket still, and you know, I think one day when I get bored or you know, confident, whatever comes first, I do wanna uh, try and mess with a an ascension deck, and you know, I just wanna get them eight triggers, man. Just get those eight triggers. Get me all those triggers. Get me the triggers. Even if I have to flash back, you know, like two thought scours and like whatever, you know, like I'll flash back the garbage cards, whatever. It's eight spells. He said, the man said it. Cannot argue with that. The dream is not dead. Hope is not lost. But our time with Invoke Calamity must come to an end because it's time to choose a new card for next month. So that's going to do it for Project Invoke Calamity. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we will unveil the nominees for next month's project. Stick around. All right, welcome back, and we're going to dive into our nominees for this next month's project. Uh, first up, we have a free flame, flame Painter. Uh, this was nominated by Ara Messor. It is a three and a red for a creature, Ifrit Shaman. It has double strike and reads, Whenever Ifrit Flame Painter deals combat damage to a player, you may cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. And it is a 1-4. Ara writes, Listen, I know you literally just did a spell slinger type card with similar mechanics, but I truly love this card and used to abuse it in standard in combination with cards like Magma Opus, Boon of the Wishgiver, Creative Outburst, and other powerful instants and sorceries that cycle or discard for value. The major issue with it that I've found is that the earliest I can generally cast it is turn 3, and connecting it is difficult without something like Access Tunnel or maybe Tetsuku Umazawa from Dominaria. Might combo well with cards like Fable, Pyromancer, and Galvanic Iteration. Definitely feels like a card that should be busted insane, but it's but is in reality pretty difficult to properly use. Hoping y'all can use your magic on it. Man, a free flame painter, what a card. This this card is so spicy. So you gotta put spells in the graveyard, but if you ever connect, it's double strike, so you get to cast two things out of the graveyard for free. It's a double strike. Uh, like, this card is so close on so many axes, right? Like, the double strike makes it interesting. The fact it has four toughness makes it interesting. Like, you just look at the cost and are like, oh no. And then you look at the upsides and are like, oh, oh maybe? <laughs> oh, maybe? Yeah, I... I have, you know, I mean, I was in my first, you know, I see this, I'm just like, huh, four mana for a one four, and then you need to make it connect and also be putting, you know, there's like a lot of circumstances that, you know, it asks, a lot of hoops it asks you to jump through, which seem, you know, very absurd, almost possible in modern, but, you know, maybe, maybe Pioneer is possible, but, you know, the payoff is huge, you know, like double strike and, you know, like casting two free things that are huge. So if you were listening very, very carefully, when we did our episode on Hinata Dawncrowned, David actually proposed a deck that had four Efreet Flame Painters in it, and the combo was with the card Mindlink Mech from... 
Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is just the perfect vehicle to pair with oh, yeah. a free flame painter and all kinds of cards. Like there's a handful of creatures that do something really busted, but they can never actually get through for combat damage or they have a very small body. And Mind Link Mech is just perfect. It gives the free flame painter haste. It deals eight damage. It casts two spells. It's, it's just the perfect pairing. So a quick question. So let's say if the third, the card you want to flashback is Thought Scour. So you attack, the first strike happens, you flashback the Thought Scour, and that resolves, then you can get your second damage trigger and you can flashback something that was milled with a Thought Scour possibly or something exactly. of the sort. Exactly. Like you don't target that. As it's two different ratios of damage, you just target the first one when you hit the first strike and then you target the second one when you hit the second one. You don't have to do anything else. It also allows you, for example, that sort of play, like, I don't know, you have your graveyard full, first strike triggers, you target a magma opus and your opponent just goes like, okay, crack my relic of progenitus. And you go, okay, before normal damage, cycle this, boon the bush Weaver, draw four cards. Like it has that sort of thing also in its favor where you can, between the two triggers, that's the point where you can do practically anything you want. Yeah, this card is like probably a lot better than I think it is, and it would be very cool to explore it. You'd have to that one real quick. You'd have to let the first trigger resolve. You'd have to let the first progenitus trigger resolve. Yeah. And then, because it targets still, but then you still get that second flashback. Yeah, in this scenario, yeah. That being said, there are 10 other cards on the ballot, so we must move on. The next card up is Ginny Fey, Jetmere's second. Oh, I love this one. Nominated by Kilgore Trout 503 our friend Jason. Uh, he says, Ginny Fey is coming fresh off its first 5-0 in modern. Oh my gosh. Okay, what is this card? Ginny Fey, Jetmere second. 3-3 three, three for green, red-green hybrid, green-white hybrid. So it's the Naya legendary, I don't know what they call these. These are, the, uh, these are like the lieutenants. These are the second in command. Oh, the capos. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the Cabaretti capo. It's an elf druid. If you would create one or more tokens, you may instead create that many 2-2 green cat creature tokens with haste. Or that many 3-1 green dog creature tokens with Vigilance. Boy. Okay. Guy, that's hot yeah, as hell. Yeah, that card Holy is cow. actually interesting. Like, the versatility in 3-1 Vigilance against 2-2 Hastes. Like, the card, the body itself it's, is really medium. Like, a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three is, I want to say borderline unplayable when I actually mean unplayable. But the first spell you play, like, a raise the alarm, making, two, making 6 power, is, like, I mean, insane. So Kilgore writes... Yo, dog, I heard you like tokens, so I made your tokens into other tokens. Ginny Fey has been in its first 5-0 league dump this week, shoutouts to Mirren Moon, and I suspect it is not the last. Playable in Gruel or Naya, with cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria, what's not to love? I have to say I vote for this card purely on the Ghostbusters reference. Thank you, <laughs> Jason, for that. You just got you just got bought with that. You didn't take much else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this card is ab. It's sick. Yeah, I love it. Think of Academy Manufacturer and this mm-hmm. thing together, or not together. <laughs> so I think the the really important aspect of this that I just want to point out is that this says any token. So this works with food. This works yep, with yep, treasures. Yep, 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 yep. And so it makes something like a strike it rich in the late game into an actual threat. Uh, it makes the the flashback on Strike It Rich actually like possibly valuable. I don't know that you want to pay uh, you know three mana for a two two or a three one, but it's a lot better than a, than a treasure. Yep, exactly. Gilded Goose, hello. Mm-hmm. Now Gilded Goose is playable again. Gingerbread Cabin, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. So who would have said the Dwarven Mind guy would suggest Gingerbread Cabin almost <laughs> immediately? Oh hey, I mean Dwarven Tech, you know Dwarven Mind's a token. Yeah, oh yeah. 
By the way, I, I just tracked down this 5-0 list that Kilgore referenced. It is a wild list. It's three Jenny Fey, four Venerated Loxodon, and just like a bunch of token makers. Verdant Command, Raise the Alarm, Gather the Townsfolk, Lingering Souls, Spectral Procession, Intangible Virtue, Legion's Landing, 5-0 Modern. Oh my gosh. Legion's Landing is like white mana ramp, you know? It's always, that card's always been on my list of, you know, like, technically it is white mana ramp. I think that list is so far away from what you want to be doing. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying it's bad. I'm just saying I'm totally gonna throw Mox Amber in this list and see if we can get there, you know? Legends, legends. I mean, Legion's Landing is an amazing card, and I am in love with Verdant Command. And I have been looking for an excuse to play Verdant Command for so long. Yes, I'm also, I'm right there too. I, I think Verdant Command might actually be a little undervalued. Like, two mana for, like, sure they come to play tap, but it's kind of, like, cute, interesting stuff. There's also the Squirrel from On Horizons too. that then also, like, all, when you create tokens, you get Squirrel tokens too. Um, Shadowfang, that, and make them removals. Yeah, well, I mean, even though you just, like, so you get your two tokens that then become dogs, and you get, like, two more squirrels that also become dogs or cats, and now you're just, like, doubling the token, double, 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 double. Let Magic Online do the math for you. All right, so Jenny Faye Jitmir's second is our second nominee. But we have nine more to go. What is our next card? So, next card. We're going with a spicy one. We're going for a moderate one. We have moderation. Three mana, a white, a blue, and, a, and, and any color for an enchantment that reads, you can't cast more than one spell each turn. Whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. Benjamin re- writes, surely a two for one on every spell must be broken. We lose some tempo, but if we can find some way to mitigate the damage caused to our deck by that first line of text, the card seems bastarding half to me. I need this to win so I can either give, giggle gleefully as it buries the opponent's on our testing team in card advantage, or resign it to my bulk pin, never to be seen or heard from again. At present, I simply cannot get this out of my mind. Please, Faceless Brewers, free me from my enduring agony and subsequent torment. I can no longer sleep. I'm like more now, totally consumed by madness. This card scorts me forever, <laughs> forever, forever. The fact that he's saying that after I pull a non-nighter to play in the challenge, it's like a personal attack at the same time. <laughs> so this is like a rare morning recording for us, but like morning implies that, you know, you had a good night's sleep and went to bed. Mord is just like, oh, if it's the morning recording, I'll just stay up all night, join the Modern Challenge. He's 7-0 and right now. He's double queuing this podcast and the Modern Challenge. <laughs> yeah, we, we just accept Mord as a different type of human. I love moderation. And the fact is, I never actually considered how to build moderation, right? Like, sometimes you love a card, but you just say, I, I would love to play this, but never actually get some deep thought into it. And then people started mentioning cards like Timeless Dragon, and I asked them for what else, and he said, we have the new turtle, and I'm like, hmm. So a perma- a- an enchantment recently for my solitudes and every single spell, everything is, a- even solitudes because a one-for-one, and that's insane. A zero-mana one-for-ones. I think a zero-mana one-for-one is better than a two-mana two-for-one. And that's what is insane about this card. Subtlety, for- force of negation, so- solitude, everything becomes automatically a one-for-one every single time. Yeah, there's a lot of free spells now, too. I mean, this is, you know, like, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. And also, like, you know, if you can, the, the big thing is, you know, it's un, kind of unlikely that your opponent's not, they can't cast too many spells. So, you know, if you can play one spell in your turn, then you can always play the one spell in the opponent's turn. That's, I think I feel that might be just a key to moderation. Like, you have to get every trigger you can out of it. Not only that, I think even if you're playing the free spells for to remain on tempo, you need things to do with your mana. And stuff like Timeless Dragon is perfect, right? Like a 4-mana 4-4 four four that then you can just hold up subtlety. That's perfect. Yeah, it works great with the channel mechanics. So Colossal Sky Turtle is the card that Emmy oh. lovingly calls the Flirtle. 
um, Boseju, Otawara, you can do all of these as well. You know, we were looking at Flash a couple weeks ago, and I was like very interested in this moderation deck list that uh, Matt Camo, Bomat Courier, had 5-0'd with like, during the first week of MH2, and it was like, yeah, what if I just slam my moderation on turn 3 and immediately cast Subtlety or Solitude on the opponent's turn? Like, I-, I feel like this card might actually be great, we just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's designed by Sam Black, and Sam Black is, you know, like one of the geniuses of the, one of the magic geniuses of our time in terms of how well he understands actual concepts in the game. And, you know, thank him for saving Modern Horizons too. It could have been a, like, you, you should have seen the shit that they wanted to do. It's mind-boggling. He stopped Caracas and he stopped... He does Caracas and one Doomsday. more. Doomsday. And Doomsday, exactly. He saved us from ourselves. So, yeah, with Modern... And he also called companions. Like, he knew he's just like, these are way too busted. They're like, we're gonna do it anyways. And he's like, these are too busted. And he's like, they're like, do it anyways. And then they're too busted. What a surprise. Maybe uh, maybe you play a, a Jeskai moderation deck with some Pyromancer Ascension. Can I interest you in that there, uh, Dr. Combo? No, because, like, how are we going to trigger our Ascension? What's the point of only, like, you know, cast a spell and we draw a card and, you know, I, wa- I want to cast a billion spells in a turn. That's the whole point is to take all the game actions. This card limits my own game actions, Brian. No, thank you. Hmm. It is a really interesting drawback. One spell a turn. Brian, tell us what you really want to do with this. The- now you can mention it. It's a time for a lucky. L- Lucky Clover. You know, I'm just trying to think, like, how do we how do we kind of skirt the uh, the limitation of one spell per turn? And so my immediate thought was copies that aren't cast. And there are a few of those, like Pyromancer, Ascension, or Lucky Clover. There's also things like finding a creative way to bounce it to your hand, like at the end of your opponent's turn. Or like, you know, like you can bounce it with your own Teferi, uh, Time Raveler. You can like channel Odawara end of turn or something, you know, just like channel your Sky Turtle, bounce it at the end of their turn. You know, like maybe Solitude, Ephemerate, and then, you know, just like recast it. Food for, lots of food for thought like this. But I think that's also another option uh, is to just, you know, find a good way to get rid of it at your opponent's EOT. Yeah, it's like Yurian plus Fires of Invention all over again. There's a lot of it's like similar tech that we could use for moderation. I know it sounds absolutely insane, and it probably is, but if we could give it to our opponent on their turn with like a Narset out, just shut him down. <laughs> Here, you take this, I'll take it back on my turn. Moderation for thee, not for exactly. me. I think the, the card that's extremely important is the Fairy Time Raveler, so eventually you will reach a moment where Moderation has gave you enough card advantage that now you don't need more card advantage. Mmm, that's actually a really good just point, Just coming at the Fairy eventually just gonna, okay, bounce this to hand and pitch it to a Solitude. <laughs> Goodbye, Moderation, you have done enough. Hmm. My only... F- my only fear with moderation is how you're going to face the combo decks and such, where you actually need multiple spells on a turn. But I think in those games, you just sideboard into a regular Asolius control, which should be favored, because you're playing a lot of free interaction. Uh, I mean, you could also just, like, load it up on, you know, like, si- deafening silence and those sorts of effects. So now, you know, you have sim- you've broken the symmetry okay. by forcing your opponent into your own symmetry. Okay, I like that. All right, next card up is Getaway Car. Brian, tell us about the Getaway Car. Ah, the Getaway Card is a Getaway Car is three generic mana for an artifact vehicle. It has haste. Whenever Getaway Car attacks or blocks, return up to one target creature that crewed it this turn to its owner's hand. It has a crew cost of one, and it is a 4-3. This was nominated by Judge Rob, and Judge Rob writes, This is an aggressive haste vehicle that does weird a weird thing where it rebuys ETBs. I found a few easy interactions with Thraben Inspector and Voldaren Epicure, but there are likely some weird and cool things you can do otherwise while also attacking for four. And uh, yeah, this is a spicy one. 
I definitely, um, I don't know, this is definitely something that, that kind of stumps me at first blush. My gut reaction says this is a friend of Memnite. Um, it doesn't Why? buy you an ETB, but it means that you're getting in with a Memnite every turn. You know, you're basically getting a, a free crew. Um, and since this has haste, you can cast Memnite on the same turn, you know, get in with your crew and, and attack with the, the getaway car, bounce it back. You can recast the Memnite. I mean, it's a May. You could just not bounce whatever else are tapping for it. It's not a May. It says return. Oh, up to one. So that's zero. You're right. Yeah, hold on. I know. I know. The Brian is leaving out the crucial detail that we have a tremors. Impact tremors. Now, what's the mirror? The mirror thing. For mirror, mirror. Brian oh, has mirror and besieged yeah. active. Well, well, and that's what I was gonna say. Is maybe you don't play the ETB on the creature itself. Because I don't really want to be, I mean, maybe I do want to be casting an ETB creature every turn, but in my mind, I want to be doing something like, I want to get free value out of this. And so the Memnite can turn into value other ways. Maybe it's a Psy, maybe it's the Mirrodin Besieged, you know, getting the, the repeat cast triggers from a, a Sahili or something like that could be, could be valuable. Yeah, I agree with Brian. Like, the fact that this is an optional bounce, right? So you only do it if you have some way to profit off of bouncing yeah. your thing. And Judge Rob has the obvious choices. Well, they're an Epicure of three pin Inspector. We should definitely try those. But not every creature with an ETB is going to be cheap, right? Midnight is the cheapest thing. So if you just find some way to pay yourself off from having an artifact to cast every turn, like this is actually like a very, very efficient combo. Um, Memnite and Getaway Car both pressure the opponent's life in a meaningful way. So I don't, I don't know. Like this is a very strange vehicle. Song of Creation aggro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I I mean, there's also the fact that crew one means at least one, right? So yeah. in the late game, you can start bouncing literally anything you want, as long as it's not Wall of Omens. I mean, yeah, you can get back Wall of Omens as long as you have another creature. Mm, right, you need a crew with wall plus something else that you can choose to bounce the wall. The loophole. There's like inherent tension, like how many decks that want to be bouncing a 3-pin inspector also want a 4-3 haste. So you have to solve that question. Yep. That, that's why I think Memnite is actually more on the right track okay. than even 3-pin inspector is. Yeah, my biggest problem with this deck is I think we, you can actually find a good shell for it, but you can find one good shell for it. Like, Gitaver card has clearly one thing. It's an aggressive card that allows you to get ETB values. It's, it falls in the sort of Cunning Knight Bond or Shenanigans. What else can you do? <laughs> All right, our next card up. I'm going to turn this one over to Arun because this card has the same haircut that Arun has. Oh, Ashaya! yeah. Yeah, Ashaya, Soul of the Wild. Three green green, legendary creature elemental. We love legendary creatures because they enable Mox Amber. Uh, five CMCs a lot, though. Ashaya, Soul of the Wild's power and toughness equal the number of lands you control. Non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other types. Uh, so, you know, a lot on this card. Uh, Chris, Chrism23, writes, I'm exploring what good game mechanics are hard to disrupt. And Landfall came to mind since you can't counter playing lands or easily destroy lands. A very good point. Ashaya works insanely well with cards like Lotus Cobra and Tireless Provisioner. Alright, you have my attention. I love Lotus Cobra. Uh, for massive mana ramping. I thought you were gonna say you love Provisioner. I mean, Provisioner's cool, but like, Lotus Cobra's hot. Uh, after that, your options are endless, but I really like this engine card, which would work equally well with Creature Swarm decks. Uh, yeah, this card is really sickos. It's, you know, my brain is too small for this. I cannot comprehend. But I know, wasn't this at one point used in the, um, um the initial versions of the Tomeshi Bloom deck with Recruiter? Yeah, it was proposed, but it turned out to be, like, not playable on Magic Online because of so many clicks involved. 
<laughs> that was definitely like one of the combos that like looked like it might be almost there. So Tameshi plus Lotus Boom, as we discussed at great length, you know, you can do this as many times as you have a land to bounce. And the way that the successful version right now of Tameshi executes the combo is by playing Cultivator Colossus to put all of your lands back into play so you can keep going. Yep. But Ashaya lets you actually just use a creature instead of an actual land. Ashaya lets you bounce any one drop to satisfy the requirement of bouncing a land. So you can just kill them with Voldaren Epicure, uh, just looping that with a Lotus Bloom and uh, with Ashaya in play. Any, oh. any, any one drop is infinite mana, every two drop is infinite DBs. Exactly. So... Once you start putting a Shia into a deck, you start to see that it's actually sort of okay. Like, it's not the worst card, um, although that, that build of Tameshi didn't end up becoming the dominant build. But it put a Shia back on the map for me as, like, an interesting and really unique effect. So when I first saw this, I actually I was like, five mana, it doesn't have an ETB, you know, that kind of thing. Like, this, this kind of fails all of the classic, is this modern playable checks. But do we kind of count? turning your creatures into forests as an ETB. I mean, that's a, a pretty powerful thing. It happens as soon as it comes into play. So, you know. Yeah. More important than ETBs is just, does it affect the board right. that the turn it comes into play? You know, essentially an ETB is a proxy for that. Sure. And this is just, you know, it's not an ETB, but it's the same concept where it comes in, you know, like a static effect, right? Just like all creatures get minus one, minus one, you know, just like that is affecting the board, you know, Krovax, Ascendant, Avatar, whatever his name is. Uh, but yeah, you know, I th- <laughs> think yeah i think it i think this counts for sure uh you know definitely like you know comes in and it does things everything is a dryad artwork yeah yeah just kind of interesting non-token creatures you control are forest lands but this doesn't you still have to play the creatures right so it's not like your creatures become uncountable because they're lands correct um but ashaya will come in counting as a land so chris or chrism who nominated this card was talking about a landfall strategy that would essentially allow ashaya to trigger something you know, if you oh. had another landfall effect in, already in play. So, like, if you had the Lotus Cobra down already, cast a Shia, you get your mana back. Uh, I think that's definitely, like, the, one of the, the right approaches. Yeah, landfall is cool. I like this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll take any excuse to jam four Lotus Cobras in my deck. Let's go. I mean... You know, turn two Lotus Cobra means turn three fetch, bring to light for Valky. This is like something that's never left my mind. Turn three Valky is almost impossible for most decks to beat. All right, so sadly, the CEO and Mr. Combo himself had to leave because of life. I don't know. Some, some people just can't dedicate their whole life to magic. I don't know. Quite shocking. Weird. Sad news to find out. Weird. Weird people, right? But that leaves me alongside the awesome Brian to finish the remaining cards. So, Brian, what do we have next? Next up, we have Mausoleum Secrets. Mausoleum Secrets is one and a black for an instant. It has undergrowth. Search your library for a black card with mana value less than or equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. Uh, so this was nominated by First Turn Negator, and First Turn Negator writes, Henry Ford's famous quote, you can have any color car you want so long as it's black, is incorrectly interpreted as about being the Model T. He actually said card, not car, and was talking about this instant speed demonic tutor. I'm up to my ears in strange brews with this card, but now I'd be excited to let the experts take a crack at it. I remember seeing this card, like, I started playing not long before this, and the first, like, as soon as it was spoiled, the shadow was still playing Street Breath, and it was, like, the fir- the perfect way to find the shadows. It had, like, two weeks in the spotlight, and then just vanished into the, into the editor. Yeah, I, you know, 
tutors are incredibly powerful, so I'm kind of surprised this never saw more play. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, as more and more sets come out, you know, we're always focused on the new thing, the new thing, the new thing, and sometimes cards like this get, you know, left in the dust a little bit. Um, we pass them by, we forget about them, they end up in our bulk box, and, you know, four or five years down the road, we find them again and realize, oh, this has been busted for a couple years because we got an influx of new cards that fit the bill or, or whatnot, right? Um, so I... I my my first thought on this one is that maybe this could be a player in the fabled mono black legends deck that Jiggy wants. I mean, that could be a good idea. The biggest problem with this card is a requiring a graveyard to look for anything that's not a zero. Yep. And b always being a black card. Yep. Like it has two powerful restrictions stapled to it, oh, which is oh. common for an instant speed tutor, right? A so, cheap instant speed tutor. All right, follow me on this. We play this card alongside Profane Tutor so that we can tutor up our Profane Tutor to tutor up the thing that we actually want because we never actually had any creatures in the graveyard. I think I just broke it. Busted it wide open. Wait, what? What? So, <laughs> well, again, we Profane Tutor for these so we can... No, 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 no. Other way around. We, we Mausoleum Secrets okay. for the Profane Tutor so that we can tutor for the thing we actually want so, because we never had creatures. <laughs> On turn two and turn three, we spend it suspending our tutors for a f- turn five search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. That's that's a goal. That's a goal. I mean, not ironically though. The first thing I thought when I just looked at it was like, what zero mana blacks? Like the first thing I was like, wait, for zero mana I can get like crushing f- with, with zero kilos I can get like crushing footfalls, and then it was like, no, no, black more. Yeah, black. <laughs> Stick to it. Stick to the plan. Remember the plan. And I think, like, first on Negator, Soren already took it for a spin, got a 4 1 with their first take on a Shadows deck, as per usual. Like, the first brew being a Shadow makes pretty cool, makes a lot of sense. I'm just trying to picture what do I want to play it in. Like, some sort of mono black control with Force Reverse and such seems like the best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I mean, I would be looking at um, probably, and this is a terrible idea, so nobody should ever do it, but uh, Cabal Therapist and yeah. you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, a way to kill your own creatures and also, um, you know, kind of shred the opponent's hand if possible. Just completely remove the hand. Okay, that could be fun. That's inter- that's an interesting way. We an just need way. Cabal Therapy in Modern. That's That's really... We just need that, right? Like, that's what we need? Yeah. Of course it would be extremely balanced. Like, what could go wrong? Actually, you know, now that we have something like Grief, this actually does get a lot better, right? We, we're starting to get a density of uh, cards that we can pitch to to fill the graveyard up a little bit. So, you know, uh, Grief, you, you've got your Cyclers. Um, it, maybe this isn't isn't actually that bad. Yeah, now that we have cards like re- like the Peach Elementals, it really helps. Streetlights plus Peach Elementals really helps to st- stack your graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey. Hey. All right. I'm 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 in on this. Let's we go. We might have a plan after all. Oh, 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 but I have to take the next one. I, I, okay. I know that I just did this one, but... Uh, no, that okay. doesn't matter. Oh, okay. You can have... It's all yours. And, and I want the next one, so... Like the other one, so better than ever. So uh, the, the next nomination is uh, from Camberleaf, 
and it is for Painter's Servant. Painter's Servant is too generic for an artifact creature Scarecrow. As Painter's Servant enters the battlefield, choose a color. All cards that aren't on the battlefield, spells, and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors, and it is a 1-3. Camberleaf writes, Look here, lads. It gathers hues from the twilight mist so that its master can paint a better world. This wee fella got a lot of new toys from MH2 and beyond, pitch elementals, new protection creatures like sanctifiers, the march cycle, etc., which makes me believe there's some new painter brews out there. It lends itself to good cards. Just a matter of figuring out what the best color to name. Uh, Camberleaf... You are, uh, this is a card after my own heart. I, I, this is my white whale of brewing. Um, this is one of the few cards I've been entirely unable to justify purchasing because of the absolutely ridiculous price and lack of any real modern decks to play it in. I regret not buying it when it was still in the $20 range, but even that felt overpriced. And I am so, so, so hoping for a reprint in the new Double Masters because this thing's like $75 at this point. Really? Yeah, it's insane. It's I insane. didn't know that. Yeah. It got reprinted with the Kaladesh Inventions, but that's, you know, you, you're priced into a foil. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's not going to reduce the pricing significantly, like, at all. Yeah. And so I, Serum Visions actually did some Painters episodes, um, and we had tried some different things. You know, I think my mind immediately goes to something like um, Indomitable Creativity into a Painter and Iona. That's that's a lock. Um, nobody hmm. gets cast anything. But, you know, Camberleaf is totally right. There's a whole lot of really cool new cards that have come out since then that we could do some really dirty stuff with. So uh, I love this, and I hope this wins. Everybody should vote for it. Or not. So what do we want to do especially? Like, what do you have in mind for these? I mean, like I said, the the, the, the initial thought is indomitable creativity into Painter and Iona. Um, okay. just completely locks the game out. Nobody gets to cast spells. But, you know... Even just getting the ability to get some value, like this means, so if a painter servant is out and say you have um, a solitude, if you name white, you can now pitch your lands to solitude. And so, you know, just as a value play with some of these, like in the late game, you know, you're, you're getting value out of lands in hand and things like that. So probably looking towards how can I make use of, um, you know, a density of colored cards that I wouldn't otherwise have you know like i have a bunch of colorless cards well they now have a color how do i make use of that okay so rather than combos just extremely powerful synergies is what you mean yeah yeah, Sam- yeah making main deck pale of summer plus main deck sanctifier and hope that carries the game yeah exactly that's the sort of insanity we have in our minds exactly yep yep okay i, I dig it i dig it seems like the best way and then we go to, I think, what might be the complete opposite regarding this, the value cards, right? Going straight, straight into value. With our next choice, which is Skybind. So Skybind is a 5-mana enchantment with Constellation, which reads, Whenever it or another enchantment enters the battlefield, exile target non-enchantment permanent and return it to the battlefield at the beginning of the next 10 step. James McLaren writes, Skybind is 5-mana, so it must be a good card. We got a lot we got a lot new and cool enchantments with MH2 and Kamigawa. I think this card needs a chance. Just think of all the TVs and Yorion. I think like I was being called out. Like <laughs> it was meant for me to read that. So the other day I just went ahead and asked the question that mattered. Does how does Skyline plus Yorion and a few enchantments work? So you can actually semi-lock your opponent out of the game if you have enough enchantments. With Yorion, because they return on the end step, you exile all your opponent's lands plus your Yorion, 
And it's just don't allow your opponent to never have lands on their turn. Yeah. I mean they'll get their, their land drop for the turn, right? And that's yeah, yeah. that's that's it. Yep. David keeps sending weird Skybind list every few months, but we never see them. Like he keeps talking about his Skybind his Skybind list, but we have never saw them. They just exist in the ether of his mind. We don't know what they are, but David I mean, keeps mentioning them. That that seems uh, very promising. If David has some ideas kicking around in there, then there's probably some legs to this card. Like maybe there's something we can do. So Skyman is like the biggest problem with this card is the fact you're when you're casting it, you're paying five mana for a blink, right? Right. Five mana sorcery blink. So you better do something pretty amazing the next turn with it. Like you need some amazing ETVs on stuff, followed by really, really good um ways to exploit them. Right. Uh, well, and and that, yeah. So in the scenario that you had been talking about earlier about locking out the opponent, you are you have to have a Urian, right? Like you're only yeah. getting that the turn that you get the Urian blink, um, unless you're able to then blink your Urian. I mean, you're always like, blinking the Urian again with the same Skyvine triggers. Right. Uh, but but you have to have the Urian first. Like this all oh, yeah. starts with you know Skybind, then a Urian. Um, the other thing is you need to have enough. Uh, constellation triggers to get all of their lands. Yeah. So, you know, we're probably turn four, turn five, uh, turn six, maybe, where this is... Yeah, it has... You, you end up with a lot of requirements, right? You need yeah. a lot of enchantments, you need a lot of non-enchantment DTVs, yep. and then you need a way to exploit that. So I, I, I like where your head's at. This is crazy enough that it just might not work. Um, I mean, just might work, just might... Yeah, mm-hmm, definitely didn't... Ex- yeah, no, uh... <laughs> No, this is this is the kind of like Rube Goldberg machine I would definitely lose a lot of tickets trying to play, but oh, it makes exactly. me wonder are we like why aren't we just playing upheaval at that point, you know? If we're gonna do that stuff, why not just go all in go all in on the crazy stuff, right? That's what yep. you mean? Yep. I mean, maybe that's just play upheaval. Or if the plan is bouncing stuff, maybe just go with the exact next suggestion. Boomerang. Ah uh, yeah. So Darshik writes, quite simply, so Boomerang, for anyone that doesn't know it, double blue, instant, return target permanent to its owner's hand. And Darshik writes, in the simplest um, letter we got today, who doesn't love bouncing lands? Simple, to the point, elegant. Darshik, you're a player after my own heart. This was a card that caught my attention early on in my magic career and is something that I often return to when I'm in like uh, blue focus lists because it is a really nice catch-all answer for permanence if you can you can support the pips. Um, you know, I, I could see mixing this with something that copies spells, you know, get some nice uh, nice two-for-ones. I don't know. Isochron Scepter? I, I, I'm not really sure here what what we want to do with it. Isochron Scepter is probably not a great idea, but... Uh, I don't think Isochron Scepter is, that, is good enough. <laughs> Isochron Scepter Zerda. Okay, now you can talk a bit into me. No, no, the last time I played Isochron Scepter, I did so poorly, I never want to do that again. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, Boomerang's a sweet card, um, but it is it is one of those cards that's so wide open, I'm not even sure where to begin. You know, I think lands are kind of uh, level zero. This is where we start, is like, let's bounce lands, but can we get crazier? Can we get weirder? How, how insane can we, can we go? Maybe this is part of, you know, my fabled uh, Wayward Guide Beast build where I am actively looking to bounce my own lands. And so to get eight of that effect, I'm, I'm casting Boomerang on my own stuff in addition to using the Guide Beast to bounce my own lands. So this is what happens when the CEO and uh, Dr. Combo leave. We just go deep into Guide Beast plus Boomerang and all we want is bounce our own lands. 
Like we we don't we don't boomerang our opponent stuff. No, no, we out we out the boomerang. Well, you know, you need to reset your uh, Urza Saga and stuff like that. You don't, you know, I, I, I'm trying here. I'm trying. I mean, Boomerang is a simple card, but it's a it's an elegant card. A time from a different era, a more sophisticated weapon from a different ta- from a different era. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, it, also a few years ago, like a year ago, when the Faceless Ruin cast them did a ballot, it seemed like this card got third, just behind Heartless Summoning a Witch's Courage. So it's not the first time it has popped up into the Brewers' hearts. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's time for its time in the spotlight finally after going third. Yeah. And then we have sadly a Shigi's favorite. We have Shigi's card actually because Shigi can't handle not voting. Do you want to take Dr. Combo's choice? Sure. So, uh, Dr. Combo has nominated the Reality Chip. Reality Chip is one in a blue for a legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. And it reads, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. As long as the Reality Chip is attached to a creature, you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library. It has reconfigure for two and a blue. And, uh, a reminder, uh... Reconfigure is pay the reconfigure cost attached to target creature you control or unattached from a creature. Reconfigure only as a sorcery. While attached, this isn't a creature. And the jellyfish is an 04. I just love the line, legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. Yes. Yeah. It's so much. It, it is. It's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, uh, so, so first, Jiggy, Rig, Jiggy writes, sadly, Breach was not the home, but I still think it's underexplored. Only seeing use in UW Hammer. I want to mess with Turbo Urza nonsense. And, and yeah, I, I think he's totally right. Like, you got Future Sight on an equipment creature thing. It's a legend, which works with Mox Amber. There's a lot to love about this card. So, uh, yeah. I think it's like, the card hasn't found a home besides sometimes in like, you know, those Esper or Azorius hammer shells. Like yeah. those are the only places where I see it with some commodity. I just love the card and I hope we can, if it wins, we can find it a decent home because the card is so much fun, you know? Yeah. We talked about it a good bit on um, one of the, the, the most recent Serum Visions episodes, which uh, I guess is not that recent these days since we haven't these been days, recording I think, well. I don't know how, this, how recent that can be. Yeah. Well, sorry. One of the, the last episodes that we had done. Um, and, you know, we talked a lot about different ways to abuse this. And I think that the upsides on this card are that it ceases to be a creature when it's equipped. You can use yeah. things like Sigarda's Aid or some of the other free equip um, abilities uh, like Pure Steel Paladin. And you get to equip it for free. So you don't have to pay that reconfigure cost. And for anybody who has played with a future site before, like that card is worth the mana that you pay for it. It is an insane effect. Even just being able to see the top of your library is already huge. And then being able to cast off the top of your library is just like such a sweet feeling. I mean, I mean, the best part about it, I have lost so many games in the past few months to like my hammer type opponent just going, men might make my hammer cigar side off the top. And I'm just being like, oh, Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. So I I mean, I think that there's got to be something here. You know, I don't know what that something is. Definitely would want to play it with ways to protect artifacts. One of the downfalls of these types of decks tends to be artifact destruction in mass, which, you know, with Hammer being on top for as long as it had been, I think people are like, well aware. Yeah, exactly. If it's not in the sideboard today, it'll be there as soon as they know that you're playing a deck that's, you know, playing a reality chip or, or something like that. So. I agree completely. Like, it's go- they're going to face it, and you've got to be ready for this. 
So before we jump into our last card, let us remind everybody the this the idea with these cards is that people get the chance to vote. All our patrons will get a chance to vote for anybody that isn't here usually or was here during the last project. All our patrons get the chance to vote on these cards, what they love, and in a round of week, I think, has put down on the final time. Um, we will choose the one that has the most votes and spend a whole month going to the iterative growing with it alongside Lesserum Visions Gang because we have two experts here among us. Well, only one now. The other has to leave. But yeah, with that being said, we can jump right into our last card, which is Tolus Clever Conductor. I hate this mana ghost so much. Tolus Clever Conductor. A white or a blue, a blue and a blue or a black. So either triple blue or esper colors for a 3 mana 3 1 legendary creature human rogue. When it enters the battlefield, it connives, the new mechanic from Streets of New Capena, which causes you to draw a card, discard a card, and if what you discarded was a non land card, it gets a plus one plus one counter. Additionally, whenever you discard one or more cards, they get exiled instead of discarded into the graveyard, and when Tolus dies, all those cards go straight into your hand. Pratima Dean writes, she reminds me of Tessa Thompson, and she's one of my favorite actresses. For anyone who doesn't know who Tessa is, she's the actor, the actress of Valkyrie in the Thor series, or the or the actress in the new Many Many Black movies. Wasn't she also in? Um... She's in a lot of places. What's the Westworld? Was she in Westworld? I'm not sure. I think that's where I know her from. Like maybe you're right. I just I'm not completely sure. I haven't seen Westworld enough. I'm terrible with the celebrities, so don't worry. Me too. Like that. That's why you say Westworld. And I'm like maybe. I like I'm not gonna argue with it. If you say Westworld, I'm gonna be like maybe you're right. So what does this card provide? Like what are we looking for in this card? Got got anything you love about it? What do you build with it, Ryan? Um. Yeah. I I feel like. I feel like if I was going to play this, I would want to start doing things like Raven's Crime or not Raven's Crime. I want something. I want a symmetrical discard effect. Okay. Um, right. Like I want to force the opponent to discard. I also want to discard and this breaks the symmetry on that. Yeah. It is also a rogue and it is a human. So uh, shout out to, you know, the party deck. Shout out to the fact that this could be played in humans, although humans isn't really discarding. Although humans does usually want some card draw or, or uh, some velocity. Um, I don't know that this is good enough because it's in three slot. Three slots is, us- is usually pretty clogged for them. And yeah. this is a looting effect. So not exactly what they're looking for. Um, not the best. Yeah. I don't know. This is a weird one because the types of decks that I would want to play this in, I think, tend to be uh, non-creature decks, right? Like, I, I want to be, like I said, doing symmetrical discards. So maybe looking for creatures that do that, have that sort of effect. Um, maybe you play with the pitch elementals, you know, you're, oh, except that it exiles from hand. Yeah, exactly. Like, are you sure you want that with the pitch elementals? That's when you start getting like, mm, are you sure I want this? I don't know where I want this card. Like, it's interesting. Well, it goes with, you know, something like a Rotting Regisaur. Uh, okay. It goes with something, you know, anything that has as an additional cost to discard a card. Now we're starting to, like, turn those cards around and make them, you know, like any any card that's asking you to discard as an additional cost is usually worth that cost, at least if it's a playable card. And, you know, now we're starting to get some value back from that. So... There's also the fact that, that if it doesn't die to ETV, it's automatically like a two for one. Yeah. Like it's just gonna make sure it doesn't die to its own ETV immediately. I don't know. I'm quite intrigued by this card in a good way. It's it's a card that could be in a mono blue deck, but when I look at this card, I just think 
black. Uh, like it, it's going to be in a black deck. I don't know that I, I would. I would probably lean Demir. Maybe I would go all the way into Esper. Actually, could be good with Dakon. Um, I, I really like Dakon. Dakon the Esper one. The, yeah. The, the, the new okay. Yeah, I, because he surveils too, and so he's also filling up your graveyard a little bit. Uh, these don't exactly play together in the way that you're going to get the card advantage back. But you know, if you're trying to, I don't know. I guess that doesn't work. Yeah. This is weird. I don't know. Like it's one. a weird card because it's a creature and an effect. You don't tend to look on no creatures, right? Like looting effects are not exactly what you're looking for. And it's a, gonna be a three-one or four-two that on ETV loots a card, and when it dies, it's gonna net you a card. And it, also the cards are you're, you want to play this in a deck that wants looting effects, but don't want the cards in the graveyard. And I right. think that's a weird card. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that feels like borderline opposites. Yeah. Like when do I want? When do I want to loot, but I don't want cards in my graveyard? Does that ever happen? I think that's where it gets all boggly. <laughs> I, maybe this is like sort of a a role player in something where you want access to the cards that you're looting and you don't want to get blown out by graveyard hate, right? Okay. Because this is a replacement. Of, oh, no, it's a trigger, too. Oof. No, no, it's a... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's such a weird card in its own design, right? Like, we're just suffering because of the design itself. Yeah, if this was a replacement effect, I would say this is great. Because now, you know, your opponent's Dothy Voidwalker, you, you can exile into... To, to lose, as opposed to your opponent's exile effect, your opponent's replacement yeah. effect. But because this is a trigger, you know, the, the replacement it's effect... Extra- it's strange. Yeah, yeah. It just becomes strange. Everything becomes so weird with it. I don't know where I want this. No, this is probably the biggest head scratcher I think that we've seen. Like, there's, there's, it's a very straightforward card in what it does, but I'm not sure where I want it. Yeah, exactly. I have that exact same issue. Like, I think I want it. I'm just not sure where. I mean, we've seen this before or something similar in like a bag of holding, right? Not exactly the same, but. But sort of that effect where we are like, maybe I want this. I'm just. Not sure? Yeah. Well, I'm going to say nobody vote for this one. Uh... Yeah, because I'm not sure where we're going if we're going with this. So now we know everybody's going to vote for this one to make us suffer. Just to make us suffer for a bit, exactly. Because if we don't suffer, what's the fun? Right? Like, what are people here for if, they, if, we're, if we're not going to suffer a bit? Well, you know what? I would happily try and brew with this. I love Esper oh, colors. Yeah. I mean, so. we're, we're complaining, but we both know we would brew with this if it's what it we, if, if it's what wins. If it's what the people want, we're gonna submit to what people want. So if people want this, we're gonna make the we're gonna take the punishment for you guys. That's our oath. I think that's all all for us tonight, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Just uh, everybody keep an eye out for the voting form. I'm sure Dan will get that out. Uh, you know. Pretty, pretty soon here. Uh, make sure you do your civic duty and vote, and may the best card win. Exactly. Ryan, as always, a pleasure being with you here. Yeah. This has been fun. Always. Hope you have a nice day, and see everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. If you would like to vote on the next card for our monthly project, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing, where a pledge at any tier will get you a Discord access as well as other cool rewards. Come join our community and make your voice heard. And tune in next time when we join the Riveteers and do our best to dun them out. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.